Hi everyone, welcome back for a new episode. You know I appreciate it if you're coming back again to listen, and if you're listening for the first time, welcome and I hope you enjoy. Today I have three stories for you. Two are from Saskatchewan, and one is from Ontario. I would like to start off by saying thank you so much to Grant from the Bushwhacker Pub for chatting a bit with me, and also for pointing me in the right direction of their ghost stories. I would also like to send out a huge thank you to Graham at the Old Angel Inn. He was a joy to chat with and gave me some awesome information and personal stories. He also followed up with me and gave me some great photos for the blog, so thank you so much, Graham. The last story that I'll be talking about is another one that was immortalized on a coin and stamp for the Haunted Canada collection. So along with the Banff Springs Hotel Bride that I talked about last time, this one is local legend about a phantom train in St. Louis, Saskatchewan. I'm also currently taking suggestions for Halloween episodes and also for season three. So I'm opening this up to Canada, of course, and really anywhere around the globe. So this podcast will still be primarily focused on Canada, but there are some great places to explore elsewhere. So let me know what you'd like to hear about and I will try my best. This episode does talk about depression and suicide. If you or anyone you know is experiencing thoughts of suicide, please know that you're not alone and that there are people and places that can help. If you're in Canada, you can call Crisis Services Suicide Prevention Line at 1-833-456-4566-247 or you can text START to 45645. If you are from the United States, you can call the National Suicide Prevention Line at 1-800-273-8255. Please be sure to check out my website at realscarypodcast.ca and check out the blog for this episode. I will have all of the numbers and links to suicide prevention services that I mentioned and a couple of others as well. So let's get started. The first story we'll be getting into today is a location in Regina, Saskatchewan. This location is a pub called the Bushwhacker Brew Pub. There was a building that was there on the corner of Cornwall and Dudney before the building you'll see now. This building was destroyed in the 1912 Great Cyclone, in Regina. So I'm from Alberta, which is the province to the west of Saskatchewan, and I actually had no idea about this. So on Sunday, June 30th, the most destructive cyclone to ever hit Canada dropped down and flattened Regina. I'll have some more information and I'll share some images on the blog if you'd like to know more, but I will say that there's actually a really interesting little tidbit that at the time of the cyclone, there was a British actor in town doing a play. So he joined the many townspeople to help in the recovery efforts and aftermath. Now that man would later become pretty famous. He would be known as Boris Karloff. So I geeked out at that fact. That was pretty neat. So one of the buildings that was flattened by this storm was a laundry on the corner of Cornwall and Dudney. In 1914, a new building would be built right on that spot, and that's where it remains today. The Bushwhacker Pub website has a great write-up about the history 
and about their ghost, which is where I got most of this story. They say that the man who designed this building wanted to build the biggest and handsomest warehouse in the city, that it was to be called the Cadillac among warehouses. He was successful with this goal, and it was and still is a six-story marvel. A Scottish man named James Strathdy was brought in from Winnipeg to manage it, and he did so successfully for over 15 years. There were tracks around back that allowed for cargo to be unloaded directly from railway cars, and this is where small business owners could come and look over merchandise and make orders for their store. Strathy founded another branch of this grocery wholesale in Swift Current under the name Campbell, Wilson, and Hare. James saw his reputation and that of his wife Sarah's rise to the upper echelons of Regina's high society. He was a chairman on the board of many transportation and trade committees. He was also a strong supporter of shipping through the port of Churchill. Along with his work-related accolades, he and his wife also had four children, three daughters and one son. Now in the 1930s, James Strathy was supposedly in a car accident, where he suffered serious head trauma. And as a result of the injuries, he was sadly never quite himself again. His injuries from the incident made it difficult for him to maintain his position at the warehouse. His assistant began to take over the management position, and James fell into a depression. So I haven't been able to confirm this, and it's really difficult when I have such an open range of dates. I talked about this briefly before about researching and how I research certain things. I have found that there are some outlets like the U of A Peel Library Archive, and it's amazing. So someone obviously with this one went through and logged everything in the newspaper issues. So it makes it really easy because you can just search by keywords and names and it will bring up everything related. But some newspapers and some provinces don't have that and you have to painstakingly look through issue after issue to search. So when all I know is early 30s, that could be five years worth. At five issues a week, let's just say, (laughs) I ain't got time for that. So anyways, I'm not sure what the real story is about the car accident. In later articles that I did find about him made no mention of this. Now the story goes that he was found in October in late 1930s with a horrific gunshot blast and a shotgun laying nearby. The Bushwhacker pub claimed that he was found across the street on the train tracks. And I did see this also on a few other outlets. But according to the newspaper, on October 15th, 1936, there were a few different details. And let me just say this. Reporting is not always accurate. So I'm in no way saying that anyone is wrong. It's just good to get all of the facts, if and when possible. And there can, of course, always be things that are left out of articles or unknowingly twisted during storytelling. So this is something that I found that was different. The newspaper article placed James Strathy's body about six miles north of Regina in a ditch with a shotgun wound to the neck and the shotgun lying next to the body. A car was parked in a field nearby, and they stated that he was clothed in a nice suit, gloves, and that there was a hat nearby. Children attending North Regina School, which was close to this area, 
had reported to their teacher that they heard a gunshot around 8.30 a.m. that morning. But since it was apparently hunting season around this time, it wasn't really given much thought. Railway workers discovered the body at about 10.20 a.m., and the coroner arrived by 11.30. The article says that the body was still warm when the coroner arrived. There was an inquest ordered, but the next day the paper had a small article saying that the inquest was deemed unnecessary. I would think that this could have been due to finding that the cause of death was suicide. I don't have the coroner's report, but I'm assuming it must have been an easy determination, since the very next day it was called off. The funeral commenced on the 17th and was highly attended. He was a very well-known and very prominent person in this community. Now eventually, the type of business that was Campbell, Wilson, and Hare changed over the years, and many other businesses came and went. This building is currently home to the Bushwhacker Brew Pub and some other retail spaces with apartments and offices in the floors above. When you look at this building and see signs and stamps of the past, there is at least one part of the past that has made its home in the Bushwhacker. A spirit referred to as Jim and believed to be James Strathy. In recent years, there have been many reported sightings of a man with a full beard in 1930s style clothing. Many of the sightings are from the corner of their eyes, but there have been a few that have seen Jim in much more detail. In a CBC article I found from a few years back, the manager Grant Frew told of his day supervisor seeing someone open the door to a private room. When she went to tell the person that this room was not open, there was no one there, and there was no way that they could have come out other than back through those doors. There's another story of a bakery owner on the floor above who has worked at the Bushwhacker and claimed to see a man with a beard and a brown plaid shirt walk past him at about 3 a.m. He went to check it out and wouldn't you know it, no one was there. There are also stories of the old boiler where pieces of coal seem to either be found in odd places with no explanation or even appear to be thrown across the room which happened to one of the brewers while he was working on a boiler in the basement. Two times, Cole sailed across the room and hit a pail next to him. The second time was enough to make him leave the premises. Along with these great accounts, there are many cold drafts and things moving as if there was a breeze in a sealed room. Now, during the cyclone of 1912, it's believed that at least 20 people perished in close proximity to the building and it's believed that there could be other spirits in or around the building. One neat thing that Grant Frew told me he had done is that he visited James Strathy's grave to introduce himself and to make peace. He credits this with the fact that he's worked many years at the Bushwhacker and has never encountered anything paranormal. He says that he also books the entertainment, and they have many Scottish entertainers. Grant believes that James would have been happy with the entertainment choices. If you find yourself in Regina, Saskatchewan, check it out. This place looks incredible. The food looks amazing. They also have their own beer and something called Mead Day, which sounds really cool. So please check them out and give them some love. And I will have links to their Facebook page as well as their website. The next location is one of my favorites so far. This is the Old Angel Inn in Niagara, Ontario. This is just such a cool location, 
And I think if you want to have a shot at experiencing something paranormal, your chances are pretty good by staying here. The story begins around the late 1780s and early 1790s, when a place referred to as the Harmonious Coach House was built. This house was a place that hosted different politicians and military personnel during the War of 1812, and was even a place for British soldiers to lodge during the war. In May of 1813, most of the town was burned to the ground in a raid by the Americans when they captured the nearby Fort George. The building was rebuilt in 1815 by John Ross, and it was he who named it the Angel Inn for his wife. The reconstruction utilized the bits of old building that was left behind. It was built on the original foundation, and the few remaining original wood beams were used and are still there to this day. I talked with the current manager, Graham. He's been manager for the last 20 years. He told me that when you go into the cellar, it has a very low ceiling, but you can see the original foundation stones. Along with this, he admitted that it is quite eerie and there have been many things that have happened down there. And as a quick side note, Graham is truly awesome. I really enjoyed speaking with him. If you get the chance to visit the Old Angel Inn, and chat with him if he isn't busy, of course, do it. Graham also did send me some photos, as I mentioned in the intro, and some of those images are of the cellar, so make sure to check out the blog because it's really neat when you get to see the place we're talking about. Now, the reason that the cellar is such a focal point is because this is where our main story and our resident ghost originates from. So there's a very well-known story that goes with this location and has actually been written about in numerous books, and is retold in many blogs and articles. The story goes that a British soldier named Colin Swayze was supposed to join the British retreat, but he snuck off to meet his true love, a woman named Eureta. He arrived at the Harmonious Coach House, where she either lived or where they had arranged to meet. But she wasn't there. A few American soldiers noticed him duck into the coach house and ran after him. Swayze ran into the building and into the cellar. He then hid in a large rum barrel, and the Americans supposedly searched the entire inn, leaving the cellar for last. They searched down there and must have figured out that the barrel could very well be housing their prey, so they used their bayonets to stab through the barrels. Unfortunately, they did end up killing Captain Swayze, and their kill was confirmed by pooling blood from the barrel. Now, some stories differ at this point. Some say that Captain Swayze was left there to rot and then buried in the ground right there in the basement. Some say that he spilled from the barrel and Yoretta appeared, pushing through the soldiers and reaching Captain Swayze and cradling him until he died. It's with this version that it gets really dramatic and says that as Swayze died, he thought Yoretta was an angel and thus the name of the inn was born. Many of the stories do place the body of Colin Swayze being buried in that cellar. Now, when I asked Graham about this, he laughed and sounded very shocked. He said the cellar? He said that he didn't think that was true at all, that that was maybe just an embellishment of the story. So I retold him the basics of the story and the legends that I had been reading that were swarming around. And he said, eh, again, that could be embellishments. 
He reiterated that there is definitely something here, but that the details of the story really can't be confirmed. I mean, in the end, we both agreed the story is pretty exciting. And of course, we can't know for sure what took place and how Captain Swayze came to haunt the old Angel Inn, but there is no doubt that he's there. Now, Graham told me a lot of amazing stories, so let's jump right into those. It seems fitting to start with Graham's first experience. To set the scene, he told me that there is a bar area, and then you go up a couple of steps into a dining room. They used to do it up really fancy with tablecloths, nice napkins, silverware, wine glasses, the whole nine yards. So it was Christmas Eve, and Graham was closing up. It was just him and one other employee. All of a sudden, as he was at the bar doing cash out, he heard a bit of banging coming from the dining room. He looked over and saw that everything on one table, cutlery, napkins, everything, was moving on its own to the center of the table in a pile almost. He walked into the dining room and he felt like something walked right through him. He said the hair on his neck stood up and it was cold. Still in shock, he approached the table and he looked underneath. Maybe there was someone under there, but there was nothing. He came back in the bar area and asked the other employee if they heard it too. They said yes, and then Graham said they heard footsteps, like a group of people walking around. Now, I don't know about you, but that is quite the introduction to some paranormal activity. Graham said that it was his first year there, but it didn't make him want to leave. I asked about some common things that happen and especially surrounding Captain Swayze. This next story might make you want to use the bathroom before you get there. The bathrooms are located in the basement, and quite often there are encounters down there with the soldier. Specifically in the women's room. Graham said there are two stalls down there, and women would come up and complain that while in one stall they would see a man's feet in the next stall next to them, wearing boots. One other account I found was that women would sometimes hear someone come in, turn on the hand dryer, and leave, but they never saw anyone. Graham told me another story about an employee who had a very unsettling experience down there. She was in the area where the wine is and was stocking up some new wine. She heard someone come right up behind her, and they grabbed her by the hips, but there was no one there. He said that she was screaming and came upstairs very, very upset. And I don't blame her. That would have been terrifying. He said that there are definitely a few female employees that will not go into the basement alone. It's in the basement that Graham says people will also see the apparition of who they believe is Captain Swayze. They will see a man in a British soldier uniform. You know how you can feel someone right behind you? It's like that, he said. Now, aside from Captain Swayze, who does seem to keep to the cellar, there are other strange things that happen in the inn. These other experiences occur in the rooms upstairs. One time, a woman and her kids stopped in the inn because the kids wanted to stay somewhere haunted. I like their style. <laughs> so they booked a room and settled in for the night. Well, the night was not what you would call restful. The next morning, she said to Graham, good one, trying to scare my kids. And he said, what are you talking about? She said, well, the night watchman was walking up and down the hallway. We could hear footsteps and he would check the doorknob 
This went on for a couple of hours. And Graham said, well, I'll tell you right now, you were the only people here last night, and we don't have a night watchman. Now another guest was staying, and it was about 6 p.m. when he came downstairs, and he said to Graham, who was in his little check-in desk, okay, what's going on? Graham asked him what he meant, and the guest said, well, who's playing tricks? Again, Graham asked what he meant. The guest said, I took the lamp off the bedside table and placed my laptop there to charge. I went into the bathroom, and when I came out, everything was back the way it was. He moved the lamp again, plugged his laptop back in, and had come downstairs to talk to Graham. So Graham explained he was the only one with a master key, and he had no reason to do that. So he said, I don't know, but no one else has been in your room. The guest went back upstairs and came down shortly thereafter with his bags. He said, I can't stay here. I'm willing to pay for the room, but I can't stay. Graham said that he was obviously very scared. The guest explained that he had gone back up to his room and the lamp was back on the table and his laptop was back where it had been as well. So he knew in the time that he was down talking to Graham, no one had gone up to his room. Now, of course, I asked for all of you which room or rooms are the active ones, and particularly this one from the story. So, if you want to book this room, it's the Sweetheart's Room. Graham said that this is the room where most of the stories come from, and the common thing is that people will move something and it will be moved back. He said that a family called Ledoux owned the hotel for many years, And the mother, Mrs. Ledoux, lived upstairs, and he's pretty sure it was the sweetheart's room. So maybe it's Mrs. Ledoux who doesn't like things moved around. Graham said that there have been a couple of sightings from people of a lady. Once, very faintly, one of the kitchen employees saw a lady down in the ice room, but it's unclear who she could have been. Maybe Mrs. Ledoux, or maybe even Euretta. Graham told me some other little interesting tidbits. Like, there is one old beam in the bar where there is the outline of a musket, and no matter how many times it's painted, the outline returns. I asked him for a photo, and he of course delivered, so that is also up on the blog and it's pretty cool. The last little legend that I asked him about is that the spirit of Captain Swayze is peaceful only for the British flag that flies outside of the inn, and if that's taken down, strange things will happen and the spirit of Captain Swayze will be angered. So I thought that this part of the legend, I thought he's going to laugh about this and say, no, of course not. But surprisingly, he said that's true. He said, yes, if the flag is taken down, strange things happen. Years ago, an American staying had leaned out the window and swapped the British flag for an American flag as a joke. They got no sleep that night because of strange noises, and it was swapped back in the morning and the noises stopped. There are other stories of the flag being taken down for cleaning and Captain Swayze wreaking havoc on the inn until it's back. So isn't this place amazing? This is definitely on my list of places to visit. And the nice thing is you'll be in Niagara, which is also awesome. So there are many amazing things to do here, and it's also not far from Niagara Falls uh, viewpoints. I will have all of the information up on the blog for anyone who would like to book a stay at the Old Angel Inn. Now, of course, 
we are still in the midst of the pandemic. So definitely check in with their website to see if and when you're able to stay. The only piece of advice that Graham has for potential guests is, quote, be prepared. Don't come and stay if you're pretty scared of stuff because it could happen. This is for sure one of those places where I think it's likely that you could have an experience of some kind. And if you do, of course, please let me know what happens. The last little story that I have for you is another one out of Saskatchewan. This is the story of the St. Louis Ghost Train. This is a tiny little village in Saskatchewan of under 500 people. It's about 30 minutes from Prince Albert and an hour and 20 from Saskatoon. The legend goes back to the 1920s, where it's said that a train conductor was out examining or working on the tracks late at night and was decapitated by a train. Like I was saying in the first story, it can be hard to narrow down a search field when I don't have more information. So I couldn't confirm that this was accurate, that it happened. I didn't find anything concrete. But whatever the story is, there have been no trains running through this village for years. And furthermore, the tracks have all been ripped out. But that doesn't stop a phantom train from making its trips through St. Louis. People claim to see a white light in the distance as if a train is approaching, traveling along the tracks that once were. Others claim to see a red light or a red and white light, Some believe it's not a train at all, but that of the headless conductor holding a lantern and walking down the tracks. Whatever the case is, people come from all over to see these lights, and the townspeople talk of growing up with the legend of the ghost train. I found an article with Global News a few years ago, which I will link, and they spoke to a local man who claims to have seen the lights up to 60 times in his life. He describes it as very prominent, The light comes through the bush, he says. It looks like the light on a train, but when it would reach the bush line, it would simply fade away. So what could this be? Well, some say that it's vehicle lights, and local high school students apparently did an investigation years back that seemed to prove this theory, although many people say that the phenomenon has happened as far back as the 1920s, when the frequency of vehicles was far less, and therefore the lights were seen when no cars were around. And also, now, traffic is constant on a nearby highway, so locals argue if it were the lights of a vehicle, wouldn't the light be constant? Which is a great point. The same resident in the article had said that in the 1960s, the army came out to investigate whether or not the light was caused by swamp gas, but the theory was also proven to be incorrect. The St. Louis ghost train was commemorated on a stamp in 2014, so that was probably really cool for the village of St. Louis, who seemed to really enjoy their little mystery. Now, the sad part of this is that the land where the old tracks used to be are on private property. It's not accessible to the public. I even read in one article that the town has actually been really interested in making it like a little attraction, or even just want to put up some sort of marker. So maybe one day that will happen. That would be awesome. If I find out that there's a way to see the lights from outside of the private property, I will let you all know. This would be for sure a really neat little stop on a road trip. 
So this brings me to the end of the episode. I hope you have all enjoyed this one and I hope you will go and visit these places. For those American listeners that are close to Niagara, you could for sure visit the Old Angel Inn. Again, I want to say a big thank you to Grant and Graham who were kind enough to chat with me about the Bushwhacker Pub and the Old Angel Inn. Make sure that if you visit these locations, please tell them who sent you. And of course, let me know at realscarypodcast at gmail.com if you do visit and you have your own story or photos. I would love to see them. Speaking of photos, as I mentioned a few times, please make sure to check out the blog at realscarypodcast.ca where you can see those amazing photos from the Old Angel Inn. Be sure to follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Real Scary Podcast. And of course, subscribe to my podcast on whichever platform you listen on. I would also love it if you would leave a rating and a review. This helps me to learn how to make the podcast better for you. And if you have any suggestions or comments, or even if you just want to say hi, again, drop me a line at realscarypodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, this is your friendly neighborhood host, Elise. Thank you.